hey, I have kind of an interesting thing that's happened. This weekend is what we call on our teaching team, we call it a standalone weekend. And the reason we call it that is because we are between series. And so we've been, all summer, we've been in this really fun series. I so enjoyed it. Games people play. And we looked at all kinds of different games. And then we're about to start a fall series called Going Rogue. And it's going to be crazy fun. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's the people that did bad things in the Bible. Like some of you. And, and me. And, uh, and getting their life back. Some of them didn't get it. Fit. Anyway, that's going to be fun. But we're in between, so, so we call it a standalone. So I get, to, I get to speak on whatever I want. So that creates a challenge because usually we have topics. We go through exegetical studies of books and the Bible and stuff. So this week I, I just randomly got to pick, and I, know, I knew exactly what I wanted to talk on because I'm kind of obsessed right now with this topic. I don't know why, but the last two months it has just been consuming me, and it's about decision-making. And so I want to talk to you today about decision time, what it means to make a decision, and what is the template that you use to make good decisions. Now I'm going to say right up front, I've made some bad ones. I've made some bad decisions. How many of you have made a, at least one bad one in your life? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Times 100. Yeah. Yeah, I'm talking, you can look at business, family, relationships, all the stuff that goes into your life, and we probably have a bunch of categories where we can say we've made some good ones, but we've made some bad ones. So, so if, you, if you Google around on this, you'll find this out. I didn't create this. This is researched, and there's three or four different companies that spoke into this. How many decisions do you think you make in one day? 24 hour, an adult, how many decisions does an adult make? Just say out, what, you, what do you think? A thousand, okay. What else? Fifty-five. No, that's the speed limit. Anyway, <laughs> kidding. What else? Thirty. One. <laughs> this is not a trick question, okay? It's not a trick question. Listen, listen. Here's what they say: the average adult makes thirty-five thousand decisions in one day. I didn't know if I really believed that, and then they went into the study says. The minute you wake up, by the way, you even make decisions when you're sleeping. But the minute you wake up from moving your arm over to turn off the alarm and hit the snooze button, to go back to sleep, to get up to get coffee, the coffee, put on a robe, slippers, do I hold it on the rail? It's just, it's thousands of decisions. And you can make two or three decisions in, in seconds. And so that's why it's such a big number. How many of you know it's important that we get a few of those right? If it's 35,000, we need to get a few of those right. And so I've been really looking at this and I've been thinking about, man, 35,000 decisions. No wonder I'm tired when I go to bed at night, right? I mean, no wonder you're tired. Wow, that's a lot going on in your brain. Here's the thing. You can make a lot of really good decisions and have a really great thing going. But have you ever noticed that one or two really bad decisions can almost wreck your whole life? So it matters. And what I'm saying is it matters that you think about how you're making decisions and why you're making them and that you're not just randomly making them. So that's, that's the passion that I have for this. So I hope you'll hold on and let's go. Turn over your outline uh, and, and write some things down or think about them with me. Some decisions require faith. Not all decisions require faith. 
Putting on your shoes, I don't think, requires a lot of faith. But it's a decision. But some really do require faith. So here's what I'm going to do. I went to Matthew chapter 8, which is, uh, and 9 really, I'm going to, I'm just, and I'm going through the text. Because this is an area when Jesus is just walking along these villages. And what I want to do today is I want to just kind of pull back the curtain and look in and say, let's just look at what happened. There's a bunch of decisions that people made, Jesus made, the disciples made. What was it based on when they made these decisions? So we're going to look at them. The first one is faith. Matthew 8, verse 5. Jesus returned to Capernaum. When he returned, a Roman officer came and pleaded with him. Lord, my young servant lies in bed, paralyzed and in terrible pain. Jesus said, I will come and heal him. That's a pretty big promise, wouldn't it? But the officer said, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come into my home. Just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. I know this because I am under authority and my superior officers and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say go and they go, come and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and he turned to those who were following him and he said, I tell you the truth, I have not seen this kind of faith in all of Israel. This kind of faith in all of Israel. What was happening with this officer. Now, you have to understand that Jesus is walking through villages healing everybody of every disease. No one that he prayed over or touched was left with that disease. How many of you know that would bring a crowd? There's a bunch of people. How many of you want to get in that line? Okay, me too. So, so he's got a following, and it's a big deal. And what's happening is this officer comes and finds him and says, I've got this servant. He's going to die if you don't heal him. And Jesus says, I'm willing to go to your house. And the guy says, you don't need to. That's faith. That's why Jesus says this is a lot of faith. I would have said, awesome. Come on over. I want you in my home. But this man knew that this was the Son of God, and he believed in him to the point that he simply said, I know who you are. You don't need to come to my house. Because you are God, just speak it, and it will happen. Man. Some decisions that you have in your life right now require a miracle from God, and it's going to take faith. I hope you'll just write them down right now in your notes. Just write down. Lord, my decision, what I'm praying about, give me the faith to pray this. Give me the faith to decide this. My prayer is with you as you do that. Some decisions do require a lot of faith. The second thing is this. Some decisions require sacrifice. It's this idea that I must give up something in order. If I, if I make this decision, then I'm going I'm to give up something. I'm going to sacrifice to make it happen. Now, this plays out in a little story in the very next verse when Jesus saw the crowd around him. Remember the crowd. There's a lot of people there. He instructed his disciple, this is verse 18, to cross over to the other side of the lake. Then one of the teachers of religious law said to him, and he's trying to impress Jesus. Get the context. Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. 
It's almost like a blurt out. You know what a blurt out is? It's where you feel something so deeply in a moment, you just, you just say, I love you. I, 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 this is the coolest thing ever in my life. It's this, I'm going to follow you. He's seen miracle after miracle. And Jesus sees through it, and he, he replies, Foxes have dens to live in. Birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. Why did he say that? Why didn't he say, that's great, chap? Because he wants this guy to count the cost. He wants to, these miracles are great. People being healed, that's great. But guess what? I don't even have a place to lay my head today. You're going to follow me. It's going to take some sacrifices. Another one of his disciples um, says, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. Jesus says, follow me now. Let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Man. Man. What is Jesus doing? He's not trying to be mean. He's simply saying, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to make some sacrifices that you're not used to making. When I, when I look at all this stuff, I think about our lives and how we sort of add Jesus to the cart. And we don't really weigh the sacrifice. The typical Christian in our world, and I'm not trying to just be like overly judgmental and I'm not... Referring, I'm talking about a general sense here of our culture has created so much dogma about Christianity. It's almost like the average Christian has this thought. God, what have you done for me lately? Right? Is that an overstatement? I don't think it is. I think, I think a lot of people have this mindset that they get God and then they get health and they get money and they get a nice place to live and they get all these things that that they think God is going to just hand over to them and give to them. And that's not what Scripture teaches. He's our provider, there's no doubt. But it's not just a gimme God. What are decisions that require sacrifice? Well, you know, let's just be practical. Taking care of your body takes some sacrifice. Would you agree? You know, taking care of this body, eating and exercise, it's a big deal. Giving takes sacrifice. And again, it's, this is not a guilt trip. It's just saying, when I decided to pay my tithe as a little boy, and my dad taught me that, I've never looked back once. It's just part of my DNA. It's who I am. I've always done that. But it's still a sacrifice. When Bonnie and I give in this one-day offering, it's a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice to give. It's a sacrifice to give and be good stewards. You could do something else with that money. But I'm part of a bigger picture. I'm part of the kingdom of God. I've signed up for something that goes beyond. And I have learned that I'm not the owner of anything. God puts it in my hand, not so I can grab it and call it mine, but so I can freely give like I have been freely given to. I think about time commitments to serve someone. I looked, I looked at our band today. And our team and people pushing buttons and doing sound and all these volunteers around here and all these campuses. You know what? They have said, I will, work, I will sacrifice. They come to rehearsals. They look over their chord charts. They practice. They come together, give hours of time so that we can have these moments of expression to God and, and be exhilarated by it is well with my soul. Thank God for them. But it didn't come cheap and it took some time. Discipline to learn more about my faith. How are you growing as a Christian? Do you know what you believe? It's going to take time. It's going to take reading. It's going to take input in your life. Sacrifice is and should be a normal behavior for believers. I believe that. Let's move on. Number three. 
Some decisions require courage. Some, some are, some, it's really, it's faith that it requires. But this one, this courage one, it's a big one. And I, I want to talk about it for a minute. In Matthew 8, the very next section talks about those disciples who got in that boat that we read about. Verse 23, Jesus got into the boat and he started across the lake with his disciples. Suddenly, a fierce storm struck the lake with waves breaking into the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. Most scholars say it just shows how exhausted he was. <clears throat> the disciples went and woke him up, shouting, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. Jesus responded, why are you afraid? You have so little faith. Then he got up, he rebuked the wind and waves, and suddenly all was calm. The disciples were amazed. Who is this man, they asked. Even the winds and the waves obey him. I, I just got to be honest about this. If I'm in the boat and the waves are coming over the boat, and I think I'm going to drown, I'm waking him up. Anybody with me on that? I'm, I'm waking him up. Okay, I just am. I know me, and I would. And he can, he can say I don't have faith, and I can say, you're right. Let's do something about this. <laughs> you're, you're in the boat. <laughs> I don't want to die today. So I get it, but there's, there's courage that he wants them to have. Someone asked what gave you the courage to jump? The man answered, I believed that the parachute would open. It's a simple analogy, but I want you to follow it along with me. Courage is tied to our beliefs and to our faith. I have courage when I believe that there will be a specific result. In other words, there is always a basis in something that allows me to have the courage that I have. The, I think of the three Hebrew children, as they're called, in the Old Testament when they wouldn't bow down to the king. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember that? And, and they said, we're not going to bow down. We have one true God. We've given our lives to follow the one true God. King says, fine, you're going to die. They said, fine. It was really that simple for them. He said, well, we're going to heat up the furnace. You know, how many times more? I forget now, seven times more than it's ever been, blah, blah, blah. And we're going to burn you. And, and it did, they didn't waver. As a matter of fact, they said to the king, he said, the music's going to start. You're going to get one more chance to bow down or you're going in the furnace. And basically, if you read the story, they say, we respect you, but guess what? We're not bowing down. We've given our lives to the real king, and if you throw us in the furnace, we might die or God might save us, but that's going to be your problem because we don't carry the way. What do you do with someone like that? That's why the Romans had a really hard time with the Apostle Paul. They arrested him, they beat him, and they brought him in and they said, you're going to stop preaching about the name of Jesus Christ or we're going to kill you. He said, awesome. <laughs> he did. They said, you're going to stop preaching. He said, if you let me go, I'm going to go preach about Jesus because he's the redeemer and the savior of the world. Then we're going to kill you. Great, then I will be with the Lord forever. Your problem. Your choice. You decide. Have fun, guys. Because it didn't faze him. Why? Because he had the courage based in knowing God. Based in knowing God. I have courage when I know God. 
Listen, when God is the source of your courage, fear is less likely to win. I want to say that one more time. And some of you really need to hear this. When God is the source of your courage, fear is less likely to win. Number four, some decisions require compassion. Not all decisions require compassion, but some do. And we see a little story here in the very next chapter in Matthew 9 where this happens. And it's Jesus who has this feeling of compassion. In verse 35 of chapter 9, it says Jesus travels. He traveled through all, all these towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues, announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. And when he saw the crowds, he had what? He had compassion on them because they were confused. They were helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is great. In other words, he's almost overwhelmed. But the workers are few. Pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. Some decisions that we make in our life are going to involve compassion. What would some of those be? Just in a quick list. Bonnie and I, you know, often here, almost anywhere now in, in America, you find people standing on most corners with a sign or some way to, to try to get some help. And it's stimulated a lot of conversation for me and, and my wife Bonnie and our kids and other, whoever's in the car because we have found different ways in which we feel compelled to maybe try to help. But I know you're never supposed to give them cash and all that. I, I get all that. But, but here's my prayer. I pray that none of us would ever just become hard, calloused people that don't give a rip about people who are homeless. You know, you can see it enough that you can get callous to it. And my prayer has been, Lord, show me what my responsibility, if any, is with this person before me. Is there anything I can do? Are you prompting me in any way? I don't want to make the situation worse. I get all that. But as the people of God, I don't want to lose my sensitivity to have compassion for people who have less than I have. And I want to pay attention to that. Giving creates a need for sacrifice. I'm going to sacrifice because I want to give to certain programs and agencies. I sacrifice when I use a skill to help someone else. You have many skills. When you offer to help your neighbor or you offer to do this or that, you are, you are sacrificing to make that happen. I remember in Kolkata, India, I, I, was, I was exposed to some bad stuff there. The, the needs of really impoverished, dying, starving, dead people in the street dying. And we were in a food line and they had this porridge that they were putting a ladle in and putting in whatever they would bring. And sometimes it was an old plastic, like, like, a, like a, a sack that had holes in it. And they're trying to hold this porridge and they're trying to get it to their kids before it runs out of the holes in the sack. There's just nothing. It was just and I remember just weeping. I just turned around. I just started walking down the street. And these, this line is blocks and blocks long. And I'm like, God, why? Why? Why is this happening in the world? And if I knew the answer, I would tell you. I don't know. But I never want to lose the compassion. I never want to lose the ability to sacrifice, to say, I'm going to do something that makes a difference 
with those people. You say, but it's overwhelming. It's ever, I, I can do something. You can do something. And here's the cool thing. We can do a lot. And we do because you care and you give and you sacrifice to make it happen. Everyone should not be afraid. All believers should not be afraid to sacrifice. Now, here's, here's the next point that's the biggest thing I can say today. And I, I want to just camp on it for a few minutes. Okay, you ready? Here it is. Write it down in your heart. All decisions require action. All decisions require action. You say, well, making a decision is an action. No, I'm going to try to help you see that it isn't. <laughs> I, that's what's been driving me crazy these last few months. So, so here's, here's the thing. How is, a, how is a decision different than an action? There's a, there's a guy who's, who's helped mentor me for a lot of years now. His name is John Maxwell. And when I first became the pastor of this church, uh, two or three years in, I went down to San Diego and spent some time with, with John Maxwell. He was pastoring at the time. Now he's a leader of leaders, but he kind of took me under his wing and he helped mentor and coach me for a couple of years and it really got, got me on a, on a good place. But he tells a story about his grandpa. And John has written, I bet he's written over 70 books. An incredible guy, great thinker. But he, he talks about his grandpa when they used to go see his grandpa and his grandpa would sit him down and he would say, all right, there are four frogs sitting on the riverbank. Three of them decided to jump in the river. How many are left on the bank? One, they would say. No, he would say. All four, because deciding to jump is not the same as jumping. Now, at first I thought that was kind of lame. <laughs> like, really? Come on, really? And then I started thinking about it. And how many people have decided to lose weight? <laughs> but didn't. How many people decided to get a degree? But didn't. How many people decided to visit another country? But didn't. How many people decided to take an art class? But they don't to get in shape, but they don't. To climb a 14er in Colorado, but they don't. To run a race, but they don't. To save some money for something, but they don't. To volunteer somewhere, but they don't. Why? Because deciding is different than doing. And I hope that you can understand that because all of us have our own personal lists. I'd like to think, and I grew up believing that when I decided something, I did it. So that's why this whole thing has messed me up a little bit. But now I'm beginning to see that I can look back in my life and I can see things where I made a decision but I didn't follow through. So there's several things that now happen in my life. I'll tell you one thing. Um, I'm a lot more careful about making decisions. Right? Because I want to be the kind of guy that says, if I decide this, I'm doing this. But that's not the case for everybody. Let me give you four ways that I hope will help you make decisions. These are, these are consider these things when making big decisions. Now, this is kind of a template. You can use this for yourself, but I would encourage you to create your own. Okay? 
So I have seven of these on my personal template for making decisions. I've put four of those seven on this paper today. But you need to come up with your own. Because all of us have different careers, callings, and, and some may apply that to me that don't to you. But number one is, will this decision honor God? That's the number one thing on my template. If I'm about to make a big decision, I better know, and, and probably even more what I mean by that, is will this in any way dishonor God? Because I better not be doing stuff that dishonors God. It doesn't mean I never have or never will. I'm human too, but it means that's part of my template for making a decision. I don't want to make a decision that I know is going to dishonor God. Number two is what will this require of me? If I make this decision, what's going to be required of me to follow this thing through? Now, I'm telling you, this is a big one for me right now. And for the last few years, because I have learned that I don't make decisions until I know what's required of me. Bonnie says, have you decided to do that yet? I said, no. I'm thinking about it. Because when I decide, then I'm going to do it. But I'm not going to decide until I'm ready to do it and I have a plan to do it because that would not feel integral. So what is required? I have to know that. I have to count the cost. If I'm going to do this, it's going to cost me somewhere. Number three, who will this impact? If I make this decision, who's it going to impact? Is it going to impact my wife? Is it going to impact our kids, our grandkids, Timberline Church? Who's it going to impact? Because you better know the answer to that question before you make the decision. So many people make decisions just on a selfish whim. And they don't realize that this impacts hundreds of people potentially in their life and forever. And your legacy. Just one little quick decision. So who is this going to impact and will it impact them good or bad, positive or negative? I want to know that before I make the decision. Number four, what will enable me to follow through? What will enable me to follow through? If I make this decision... How am I going to know that I'm going to not only decide, but I'm going to do it? And I have, I have plenty of ways, and the big word for me is accountability. If I, if I decide to do something and I've really decided it, then I will tell Bonnie, my wife, I'll say, I'm going to do this. Mark my word. I'm going to start training. I'm going to start preparing. I'm going to do this. Here's the date I'm going to do it, if it's an action like that, or I'm going to start on this day or whatever. Now, I do not say that to her unless I'm serious about it and I've thought about it. I'm not going to come to you as a church and say, we've decided to do this unless we have a plan to do it. You know, when we decided to buy 35 acres over here on Timberline Road, that was a long time ago. But we had a lot of people speaking into that. When we decided to build this building, when we decided to launch Windsor Campus, when we decided to launch Timberline Old Town, we decided and we did it. We did it because we had a plan, and we did it because we sacrificed. We did it because it cost us something, but we agreed, and we came together, and we said, we can do this together, and it's done because of God's favor and God's blessing and the wisdom of the room, and God has helped us. That's how you want to make decisions in your life for your family and the legacy that will follow you for the rest of your life. Amen? It's true. 
So let's make good decisions and let's bring God into the equation and let's be accountable for those decisions. I want to pray for some of you making big decisions right now. Would you just join me for a moment? Lord, I'm, I really believe that here and in the South Auditorium and maybe others online, there, there, there's big decisions being made. So we pause in this moment to just say, would you guide this, this few minutes that we have here? In a minute, in a minute, I'm going to ask those of you in the midst of a big decision to stand up. When I do that, I'm going to just pledge to you that I'm, I'm not going to ask you what it is or to come forward and tell somebody. It's just between you and God. If you're a couple here today or there's several involved in this decision and you want to stand together, great. This isn't for everybody, but for some of you, this is like a God moment and it's an answer to prayer because you're making a very big decision right now. We're going to pray over you in agreement, and then we're just going to have you sit back down. So if you're in the middle of a big decision, you want prayer, would you stand, please? Amen. Anyone else? Quickly, because we're going we're gonna to move on here. Okay, anybody else? Okay. What I'd like to do is just have, if you're just the rest of you, just open your eyes and look around your area. And you might not even know them, but I just want every person standing to have someone have a hand on their shoulder. So just go. If you're sitting on the end, you can get to them or they're in front of you. Just put a hand on their shoulder right now. Would you do that? Thank you. I love that, you guys. And what a picture of family and agreement. That's why we call this our living room right here. Okay. I'm going to pray and I want you to pray in agreement with me. Lord, we do not know the decisions that these brothers and sisters are making, but we know they matter or they wouldn't have stood to their feet. We know they're big decisions. They're not just one flippant 35,000 of the day. This is a big one. And I pray for your leading, your guiding, and your discernment in this decision. May you absolutely show up and give your leadership to their heart and their mind to the point of clarity where they have, have clear vision in mind that this decision is going to honor God. And I pray, I pray that they would make it with joy. I pray that they would feel the confidence of the Spirit and have the wisdom of Almighty God in making this decision. We trust you today, Lord, as believers. We trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.